I'm Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Annalisa Cornell, who's at Franklin and Marshall College, uh, just outside Philadelphia, and we're talking about perspective. So, Annalisa, can you tell us about perspective, maybe from the artist's point of view and, and the math involved? Sure. So, in art, one of the questions that people ask is, how do we display something about the real world through our art? In perspective, what we're imagining is that we're looking at the world, and the world is coming to us through light rays, which are lines. So these light rays come into our eyes, and we want to display these light rays on a canvas, which is usually a planar canvas. So what we do is we put a little dot where the light ray intersects both the object and the canvas. So those dots become the image of the thing that we see in the real world. And that's the basic mathematical idea behind perspective. When you talk about lines and planes, then you're talking about math. So it sounds like a much more mathematical pursuit. But of course, it really originates from the idea of looking at the world and portraying it, which is art. And now from the viewer's perspective, someone at a museum or looking at it in a book, there's some math involved with finding the best place to stand. Sure, there can be math and there can also be mechanics. So when I have my students do this work, the very first thing we do on the first day of class is we go and I have them put tape on windows. So there's one person who stands far back, that's the artist, the art director, and then the other two people who work with them are the minions, they're the helpers, who actually put drafting tape, drafting tape we use because it's not sticky, it doesn't leave a residue, they put drafting tape on the window at the direction of the art director so that it lines up with things in the real world. And it's actually very hard for the helpers, for these minions, to see what it is they're doing because, of course, the tape doesn't line up with anything for them. But as the picture comes together, what they discover is that it becomes a coherent picture. And moreover, when you stand back when this is done, the helpers, actually anybody, can figure out where the original art director was standing by walking around and finding the place where that picture on the window, the drafting tape on the window, lines up with the outside world. And so when you're teaching that, is that a, a revelation for them? For my students who are doing this in the art class, this becomes more and more apparent during this little exercise because they're actually sort of living it out and they're building this experience themselves. But it's sort of a revelation that this magic point exists for any good perspective piece that they haven't created themselves. So we will take mathematicians and artists. We've, we've had many mathematicians and artists come through a workshop that we used to do and learn about how mathematically to recreate the correct perspective viewing point for a particular painting that they see in a gallery. And the artists who are very well trained to look at art, when they find this correct space, they are amazed. Many people are amazed, the artists even more so, just saying, wow, I wish I had known this. I've been looking at art all my life, and I have never known how to really look at a perspective piece. From my point of view, uh, so to speak, when I'm in a museum, I, I almost think always of just standing right in the middle. That seems like the natural place to stand, but it, it isn't. And in, and in the engraving that's in this mathematical moment, the magic point is far off to the right. Yeah. So many artists, once they started learning perspective, would play around with the correct viewing point to create a little bit of dynamism, to create a little bit of of interest in the painting. So for example, Canaletto, who used optical devices, he used something like a pinhole camera to project things onto the back wall and then paint it on the back wall. Many of his paintings actually have the viewing point off to one side. 
and Durer's St. Jerome in his study, which is in this mathematical moment, Durer's vanishing point, his viewing target, is off to the right side of the picture, which actually makes sense if you think of the fact that it was in a book and the engraving was on the left-hand page. So if you're in the middle of the book, you would be towards the right-hand side of that picture. Now, one of your co-authors, she was speaking at the joint mathematics meetings, and she, she was talking about how sometimes it's hard for her to find that magic point because the positioning of the art, it, it's too tall. Yeah, so if, if you have a snapshot or a book, of course, you can move the painting around. But if the art is hung on a wall in a museum, then it's much harder for you to move the painting. The curators get really angry, and they also get really angry if you move in too close. We've had some really fun experiences where um, one of my other co-authors actually took a group to the Indianapolis Museum of Art, and he had people getting down on one knee to look at a particular painting, and the curator came over and was saying, what, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, in order to see this from the correct viewing target, you have to get down this low because the painting is hung too low. And so the curator actually rehung several of the paintings based on his analysis so that people could see this better. But knowing that there is sort of a correct location for having this piece pop into 3D is not part of the common lore. When you were doing this research that led to you finding these viewpoints, had you any idea about it before that? I didn't before I started working on this with Mark France. In some ways, knowing the correct viewing target and viewing distance is known. That is, it has been in the literature, but it's not part of the common lore, so much so that part of the reason this mathematical moment is so interesting is that William Evans, who was the curator of the Prince Collection at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, wrote a really great book that's still in print today, but as part of this book, he took Durer to task for not knowing what he was doing. He claimed that the table looked like a trapezoid, not like a square. And in fact, if you're in the wrong place and you're trained to look at things well, it really does look wrong, especially to Evans, who didn't have the same exposure to photographs. We're now so used to seeing photographs that we see pictures from the wrong space, but he had a really trained eye. It turns out, actually, that Evans was wrong in that it was not Durer who drew the painting wrong. It was Evans looking at this from the wrong place. But Evans' book has had a profound influence on much of the art world, and he's been cited very often. So part of the reason for our article was to defend Durer from a spurious attack. <laughs> and, and that article ran in the Math Horizons. Yes, that did. Right. Now, you, earlier you mentioned students, and I noticed from your website that a lot of the research you do, or you involve undergraduates in research, is that a positive experience for you? You must like it. I really love doing work with students. We get to see things in new ways, both literally and figuratively. You know, for example, one of the students that I got to work with was a, an undergraduate named Martina Mincheva. She's actually now a professor of mathematics at Temple University. And she and I were looking at a slightly different question, which is instead of imagining that you're looking at a plane, right, so your canvas is a plane, imagine that your canvas is another surface. So in particular, we were looking at reflective mirrors, like an M.C. Escher's hand holding a sphere and his three spheres, and trying to figure out if we could come up with a corresponding viewing distance formula for these pictures. And we did, but we were sort of stymied because 
in the three spheres picture, it kept giving us what we thought was the wrong answer. That is, we kept thinking the distance between his face and the sphere should be 14 inches. And we were really surprised. We thought it ought to be more like 21 inches. And we redid our mask a couple of times before we realized, wait, it wasn't us. M.C. Escher actually drew his head too large. And so we literally cut and pasted that as we cut his head out of the sphere shrunk it down on a photocopier and pasted it back in at about 70 to 80% of its original size, which is what we thought it should be based on our formula if he was 21 inches away from the sphere. And the picture looks so much better. And when we show this to other people, they all agree. Nobody, nobody seems to have noticed this beforehand, but once you see the before and our after, it's just, it glares out at you. And so that's a really fun example of learning something interesting about art by pursuing mathematics. Annalisa, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah. One of the things that mathematicians often believe is that artists need to learn more math. And while that's probably true, I'll put in there that mathematicians really do need to learn something more about art. My students who come into college might be a little bit nervous about math, but they've all had math last year or the year before. But most of my students haven't had an art class since sixth grade. In fact, most of my mathematical colleagues haven't had an art class since sixth grade. So we really approach art like children as opposed to like people who are trained. But mathematics and art are really going to become increasingly important as we try to understand digital images of the world, as we try to create images, for example, in Toy Story and other Pixar movies and video games, as we try to understand 3D imaging so we can do medical detection. So it's increasingly important that mathematicians can think of art as an applied subject, and so they need to learn more art, too. All right. That's Annalisa Cornell from Franklin and Marshall College. Annalisa, thanks. Thank you very much for having me.